In Isaiah 38, we read about a king named Hezekiah. And the Bible says, In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I've seen your tears, and I will add to your days 15 years. Now, I didn't study the rest of Hezekiah's life, but I'll bet you that this was a wake-up call for Hezekiah. No matter how seriously he lived the first part of his life, I'll bet the next 15 years he lived better. Because like the rest of us, Hezekiah probably got busy in his daily life with his family and all the wars they were fighting and the kingdom he had to rule. And although he thought of God, he was just busy with life. And then all of a sudden, God said, you get ready because you're fixing to die. And the Bible says he wept bitterly. And so what a relief it must have been when God said, I'll give you 15 more years. And so we see movies, you know, where someone's about to die and they pray to God, God, if you'll save me, I'll dedicate my life to you. And then and then uh, they get saved and, and they dedicate their life to God. They say, my life turned around at this event. Well, I want you to imagine for just a minute that you went to the doctor Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock and he got the results of the test back and he said, you've only got two weeks to live. There was a fireman I worked with. He was about my age and, and this is back... Uh, late 40s or early 50s and his name was also Danny he was a battalion chief and he was in better shape than I was he was slender and healthy and exercised I think he ran really good guy and he started having stomach problems and he thought it was indigestion so he was taking stuff to try to alleviate it and he finally went to the doctor he was still working too I mean he's just just stomach problems he went to the doctor and he had stomach cancer and two weeks later, he was dead. That guy worked up and just almost at the time he was dead. So I want you to imagine that you're Danny Roberts and you went to the doctor on Friday and you've got two weeks to live. What are you going to do differently? Are you going to sit around and watch television? Sit around on Facebook? Uh, are you going to spend much time fishing? You say, oh boy, I'd go out and I'd fish. I'd, I'd do everything I always wanted to do. No, you wouldn't. You'd be like Hezekiah. You would weep bitterly because your life's about over. Um, and, and then all of the things that you knew were important to you, but you didn't treat important, now you would start treating them importantly. You would spend time with your family. You'd spend time with your kids, with your grandkids. And you would pray. Remember when Paul was on the road to Damascus and Jesus appeared to him and Paul was struck with blindness? What did Paul do for the next three days? He fasted and prayed for three days. And I'll bet you and I would be fasting and praying for 15 days. And all of a sudden, all the things that we thought we would do when we retire, 
when the kids are in school, when, uh, when the kids are out of college, all the things on our bucket list, our to-do list, all the important things, we would get done in two weeks. Well, I don't think any of you went to the doctor on Friday and got that call, but this morning I want, I want this, like Hezekiah, to be your wake-up call. Let's, like the Bible says, come, let's reason together. Let's think about a few things. This is your wake-up call. In Ephesians chapter 5 and 14, Paul tells the Christians, Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. And that's what I'm saying to you this, this morning is to wake up. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, in verse 2, he says, It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth or happiness. What he's saying here is that it's better for us to go to the house of mourning. Like I said, we get caught up in our lives, and then what happens when we go to a funeral? We start thinking, don't we? Because we forget about death during the week. We're so busy, we don't have time to think about death. We go to a funeral, and we're thinking about that, especially if it's someone that's close to us. I like to go to cemeteries sometimes. I'll be driving out in the country and come across an old country cemetery, and if I've got time or if I make time, I like to stop and I walk through there. And you see... Depending on the cemetery, maybe you see Civil War veterans, World War I veterans, World War II veterans, even it's been so long ago, Vietnam veterans. And you see a, a birthstone of a child that was born on November 12th, and they passed away on November 13th. And you think the heartache of those parents. Sometimes you'll see three gravestones, brothers and sisters, in a row. They all died within a few days of each other, maybe the, the flu epidemic. And I see a, a gravestone. And here's John Housewright. He lived from 1858 to 1924. Who's John Housewright? What did John Housewright accomplish with his life? Nobody knows who John Housewright. I mean, some people did. His family did. Maybe his great-grandkids know. Who was John Housewright? All it says is the dates of his birth and, and, and death. What did he accomplish with his life? Was he a nobody? Did he just live and farm and he's gone and nothing to show for it? And that makes me think about my life. What are people going to say when they see my gravestone? Who was Danny Logan? What did he do? Did he accomplish anything with his life? Now, we can't all be great inventors, but we can all be great because we can invest our lives in other people's lives. Now there's some people, you go see their gravestones, like if we could find Apostle Paul's, Truman Till, uh, Sammy Potter, Coy Potter, these great people that we used to know that were evangelists. And we're just overwhelmed with all the thoughts of the good things that these men accomplished and the lives they touched and the lives they changed. What, what are people going to say, think when they see your gravestone? 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 6, Paul tells the Thessalonians again, he said, let us not sleep as others sleep, but watch and be sober. What does it mean to be sober? Well, you're either drunk or you're sober. But assuming that we're not drunk, what does it mean to be sober? It means 
to take life seriously, like Paul told the Ephesians, like he told the Thessalonians. He said, wake up. Think about things. Go to the house of mourning. Think about the meaning of your life and the fact that you're not going to be here forever. And what are you going to do with your life? One time, when I was at the fire station, I generally came home and was asleep for about three hours. We were busy and didn't ever sleep well that night. And I would come home and sleep for three hours. And one time I came home and uh, went to bed. And I woke up, I want to say, about 11 or 11.30. And I was going to run to town real quick. And this is when Danielle was living with us. And Danielle and Angie were in the kitchen. And Danielle was worried because Adelaide's dad, John David, had just left uh, to go to work. He had to be, maybe he had to be at work at noon at the Sprint store in Sherman. And uh, Danielle was pregnant at the time. All, the only th- vehicle Danielle had was a motorcycle. And he didn't want Danielle riding a motorcycle because it's too dangerous because Danielle was pregnant. And so he left her the car and he took the motorcycle. And when I woke up, Danielle was upset because he had said when he gets to work, he'll call. And he hadn't called yet. Well, I mean, there's only like 5 after 12 or something. I don't know. And I said, dumb me. I almost said, don't worry. Everything will be okay. So I go to Gunner. And I come back about 20 or 25 minutes later, and there's Danielle and Angie weeping bitterly because they had found out that John, an 18-wheeler, had come over into his lane and pushed him into the guardrail, and he was killed instantly. We don't have forever. Everyone believes it won't happen to them until it does. Jesus said in John 9, in in verse 4, he said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, because the night comes when no man can work. You know what the night he's talking about there? Is death. Once once you die, you can't do anything else. It's over. It's all she wrote. We say, well, tomorrow I'll do this. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. You don't have tomorrow. All you have is today. Tomorrow is not created yet. If judgment can't, Judgment Day came this afternoon. Tomorrow would never be here. All we have is today. To not decide is to decide. Go your way. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. That was a decision. We never read that Philip was, or Felix was ever converted. When we don't decide to do something that we should do, we're deciding to not do it. Marcus Aurelia said, you could be good today, but instead you choose tomorrow. But you don't have tomorrow. Think about something you've been planning on doing learning something new, or starting an exercise program, or losing weight. Well, tomorrow, Monday I'll start. Then Monday comes and the boss calls and you've got to rush to work early and you forget about it. Tomorrow, tomorrow. And so for a lifetime, for years and years we've been saying tomorrow, but we don't have tomorrow. In Psalms chapter 90, let's see. Psalms 90, verses 9 through 10. It 
It says, The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength there are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and like the song says, we fly away. In verse 12, he says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And so that's what I'm talking about this morning. As Paul. or whatever it is and give you some good ideas for your lesson. So, I lost my password, so I just typed in the search. I typed in, why should we take our lives seriously? And all the articles that came up were, why we should not take life too seriously. And I looked and looked and looked, and I could not find one article that said, why we should take our lives seriously. And it reminds me of that verse that Paul says, let us not sleep as others. As Christians, while the whole rest of the world is saying, don't take your life too seriously, we need to be taking our life seriously. Jesus asked the question, what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And so this life is not our rest. It's not our reward. This life is a warfare. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8 said our adversary, our enemy, the devil, walks about seeking whom he may devour. I read one time that if someone is at war with you, and I think they were referring to the Taliban, I think they were referring to at the time, and bombing the World Trade Center and stuff like this. It says if someone is at war with you, even if you don't realize it or you don't admit it, you're still at war. And it's the same with us as Christians. Even though we may have blinders on our eyes and not understand that Satan is out to get us, he's at war with us, which means we're at war with him. And if someone's at war with you and you're not fighting back, guess who's losing the war? We need to take our life seriously. We're in a war. 1 Peter 1 and verse 13 says, Gird up the loins of your mind. Does anyone remember the country singer Ricky Skaggs? Well, he got started young age of bluegrass and he got in the country. So you remember those songs, Uncle Penn's fiddle and the country boy, stuff like that. And then he got back in the bluegrass. If you ever go see Ricky Skaggs, a lot of bluegrass is played extremely fast. Ricky Skaggs and them, their feet will start a song, a fast song, and he'll tell his bandmates, hurt up your voice, boys, let's play. I mean, we're going to play some hard stuff. And Peter is telling us, gird up your loins. We've got some hard work. The Bible says that we are soldiers of Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 talks about that we're soldiers. This is not vacation. We're at war. And you are a soldier. When you became a Christian, you volunteered to be a soldier. I remember back here in the Gulf War, the first Gulf War, a lot of people had gotten in the military so they could get college educations and VA loans and stuff like this. And when they had to go to war, they were upset. And I thought, this is really, um, I can understand it, but this is what you signed up for. When we became Christians, that's what we signed up for. And so we need to take our lives seriously. So we're in a war with Satan. We're fighting against lust, temptation, weakness, uh, 
we're in a war, and it's hard. You know it's hard. We're fighting for our souls, the souls of our children, the souls of our grandchildren, our fellow Christians, our co-workers, our next-door neighbors. We are in a fight to save people's souls because people are going to hell. How can you say that? Because Jesus said that. Remember this, he talked about the narrow gate and the broad gate? He said, broad is the gate, and wide is the way that leads to destruction. And many are going in that gate. So we're at war for people. Now my son Michael uh, is with the school group. He's a school teacher in Prosper. He's with the uh, school group. And they toured Vietnam, uh, Thailand, and Cambodia. And I think he's in Bangkok right now. And he's fortunately been able to keep us updated on Facebook about all the things. And one of the things that they went to was a museum in Cambodia. And I don't know if you remember the Vietnam War and the wars in that area. Maybe they've always had wars there. Because there was World War II, and then there was the Korean War, then there was the Vietnam War. And there are still, to this day, thousands and thousands and thousands of landmines that have been planted. And to this day, people are still killed by landmines. Most of them little kids. One of the things that Michael said is that they have trained rats to sniff out TNT in these landmines. Now I guess the, the rats lead them to them and the people are able to to uh, dig them up and defuse them and everything. And these these rats have found thousands of landmines. There's a man Michael got to meet him. He said his Facebook post said, This is the most famous man I've ever got to meet. This man lived over there when he was a kid. He was uh, uh, if Rouge or something, they got him to be a child soldier. And uh, he got out, and now he's dedicated his life to uh, uh, getting rid of these landmines and saving lives. I think, if I remember right, Michael said he had found and got rid of 10,000 landmines. Why are you telling about this? Because there are landmines all around us that are lying wait for our children and our grandchildren. And they're turning 10. 12 and 13, they're getting on the internet, they're with their friends at school, and everywhere around them, there's premarital sex, extramarital sex, transgender, homosexuality, drugs, alcohol, all sorts of landmines that your kids can step on and ruin their lives and their eternity, and not just the kids, but us too. We are at war. There are landmines all around us. And so we've got to take seriously our lives. In Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 3, I think. Jesus says he looked out on the people and he saw them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, they were lost and had no direction in their life. And Jesus says that he had compassion on them. And he said, the laborers are few. That means there's not many people to work. It's like going to war with a very, very small army. Where's God's army here in Denton? There's a lot of them right here. Maybe most of them. I don't know. There are other churches of Christ. None of compared to the whole city of Denton and all the college students, laborers, or people. Which makes it more important for you and me to work, to take our lives seriously. Like the song says, there is much to do. There's work on every hand. Jerry Reed had a song out in the 70s or 80s. He said, 
uh, we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. And that's why there's there's work on every hand, and there's not many of them. We've got to take our lives seriously. So the third point I want to make this morning is that we've got to give it. Like I said, if Hezekiah or God said, you just got two weeks to live, what would you do? We've got to get busy. We're not here to play, but we're here to work. This is not our reward. In Hebrews it says, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. This is not our rest. Now we live in the best country that's ever been, and we have luxuries, and we have so much free time. This is not our rest. This is not our reward. In John chapter 9, Jesus said, I must work the work of Him who sent me. And you and I must work the work of Him who sent us. We need to quit counting time and make time count. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Redeeming the time for the days of evil. What does it mean to redeem time? Angie and I went to McDonald's the other day somewhere, and she doesn't remember. We got two coupons that were good at any of the Sherman, uh, maybe McKinney McDonald, good for two uh, combo meals. Now, this paper was worthless. Sometimes if you read a coupon, it says the coupon's worth one-tenth of a cent. It's useless. I mean, pretty much useless. But when you redeem the coupon, you get something of value. You get a free meal. You may get a free cool. You may get a free vacation. You take something that's worthless and get something of value. Paul said that we're supposed to redeem our time. What is time worth? Well, everyone knows time is money. Wrong. Time is not money. Let me prove it to you. Think back on the day when you woke up, you didn't feel good, or it was a Saturday or whatever, and you were just lazy. Maybe you had a long mission. You trimmed the trees and mowed the yard. And you got on Facebook and friend called. At the end of the day, you didn't accomplish anything. And you look back and say, someone said, what did you do today? Mike, oh, I wasted the whole day. Should be rich. Time is money. We've all got the same amount of time. We should all be rich. Time is not money. Time is worthless. Unless we take this almost worthless item and turn it into something, redeem it, for something to great about. We can invest in other people's lives. We can visit people that are sick. We can send cards. We can study the Bible. We can invite someone over to our house. Uh, we can study someone. We can redeem the useless time for something that's a great time. In Romans 13 and verse 12, Paul on the same theme of waking up. He says, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. These two people lived on the farms. Ralph's family had to get up. Him and his brother had to get up at 5.30 in the morning while it was still cold and dark outside and milk the cow to take care of all the farm animals before they went to school. And so you make plans for the next day. Well, I'm going to get up early and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And like I said, you know, Facebook or whatever, just waste time and all of a sudden it's daylight and you haven't started working and you get been at work an hour ago and you haven't. The day, the night is far spent. The day is here. Let's get busy. <coughs> First thing that we've got to do is to reprioritize our lives. Change your life, you've got to change your priorities. 
tomorrow depends entirely on what we do today. You know, I said if you had just 14 days, how would your life take? Well, we would reprioritize things. The remaining two weeks, we would invest in family, friends. We had heard someone who would call and apologize. Someone who's mad at us would call and get things straightened out. And so what we need to do, hopefully we don't have two weeks, we need to reprioritize our life. We need to get busy raising our kids. We need to warn them about those landmines. Because Satan is out to get our kids. We need to spend time with the kids. We need to talk to them. We need to spend time with our wife, not, not with our boss. We need to prioritize our family. We need to prioritize church members. The Bible says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, but exhorting one another. Now I'm going to step on some toes. But I love you. I'm not doing this church here. What have you done? Not, not the elder. Not mine. What have you done to exhort fellow Christians in the past? That needs to be our call. A phone call, a visit, a friendly word. We missed you. We're glad to see you. Something. Do something to exhort we need to take care of the lost. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 34, Paul says that there are a lot that haven't heard the word of Christ. And he said, I speak this to your shame. You ought to be embarrassed about that. In fact, there are people who don't know about Jesus. You ought to be embarrassed about that. Why? Because we're the world's only Bible. Jesus isn't here. The apostles are no longer here. It's just you and me. Paul said that there are those that don't have the knowledge of Christ to speak this to your shame. We need to be concerned about the loss. We need to read the Bible. We need to pray more. I'll say this about reading the Bible. Andy and I were talking about this, and a lot of us are intimidated when we read the Bible and we don't understand it. Or it's hard. The important thing about a new habit, if you want to master a habit, start with repetition, not perfection. And I'll tell you what happened to me. Last year, I, actually a week or two into January, I decided I was going to read the whole Bible. I got, and I didn't want one of those plans where you read chapter from the Old Testament and the New Testament. I kind of wanted it to be more consistent. So, a week or two into January, I started, had to read extra time. I started in Genesis 1, I started, read all the way through Revelation 22. Whoa, I'm impressed. I mean, that's really cool. You read that about. No, it's not really that cool. Let me tell you how it happened. There were days when I go, oh, I've got to read the Bible. But I was committed to doing it, and I didn't want to stop. And so, like it be. Henry Levin had a hard day laying there in bed and just can't keep my eyes open. And I would read those three chapters. If you ask me what I read, I said, I don't know. I can remember Angie's sister talking to her, Angie, because she's also reading the Bible. She talked about something she read in Leviticus. And I, was, I was embarrassed and I'd keep my mouth shut because I said, I know I read Leviticus 13, and I don't remember reading that. So I was reading it. 
you're not getting anything out of it. And you say, well, why did you keep reading? Because I was committed to my commitment. And I read, of course, when I got to Matthew, boy, I didn't think about a lot more interesting. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, oh, that was so much more interesting. Revelation, that was so But I actually finished up two or three or four weeks early. Did I get a lot out of it? No. I got something out of it. And I decided, well, what am I going to do now? I don't really have an interest in reading the Bible through again, especially Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all those more. Because I'm not a Jew. If I was a Jew, it would be interesting. And so for a long time, I didn't do anything. Well, let's decide I'm going to do it again. But doing something is better than nothing. But now, I got a late start. I went months without doing anything. I'm three months behind, I'll admit. Now, I'm in Leviticus again. You know what? It's more enjoyable. And I'm going slower. And I'm going, now this is interesting. I never noticed this before. And I'll tell Angie, I said, you know what I read this morning? And surprise, let's go over how you say surprise, surprise, surprise. I look forward to my reading. And I'm not a morning person. But I've got to wear, if I'll do this first thing in the morning, I can tell my whole day goes better. And it's not just reading the Bible that makes my whole day better. But it's kind of Starting my day with correct priorities. I can spend my time on Facebook or I can spend my time with the Bible. And when I spend my time with the Bible, when I pray, I feel good about myself. And once I've done one thing that makes me feel good about myself, then I've kind of got enthusiasm and encouragement to do the next thing that I feel good about, that I know that I should be doing. So we need to reprioritize our lives. First things first. We need to quit making excuses and find a way to make things happen. No offense to anyone, but I found out that human beings are excellent at making excuses. Now, when we say the excuse, it sounds like a good reason. But once you start recognizing excuses and listening to talk, just shake your head. Because you realize it's just excuses. Because other people have done it. Other people have been in worse situations than you and have done more with less. If they can do it, if it can be done by anyone, it can be done by you. I'm not talking about Mount Tommy Mountain. Not even can do that. I'm talking about Christian unity. One person can do it, you can do it. Because one day you'll wake up and there won't be any more time. Whether it's cancer, or car wreck, judgment day, all the tomorrows, all your tomorrows, are going to be gone. And then all the things that you ever planned to do, you won't be able to do. It's over. You won't be like Hezekiah. You can't pray for another 15 years. When it's over, it will be over. 
Some this morning we've talked about waking up, taking life serious, and getting busy. We had a friend, Leah and Gunner, and I kind of think that she had one with her breast, and I think she had to go to the doctor. And she finally went to the doctor, the doctor ran the test, the doctor came back in and said, I've got bad news. Leah said, I know it's cancer. And the doctor said, yes. Good Leah was only 40 years old. And she went ahead and took chemo to extend her life as long as she could so she could spend time with her kids. Her kids were just about to graduate from high school. And so those last, I want to say two years, in spite of the misery she was going to spend time with her kids. We went on vacations. And she lived to see at least one of both kids graduated. And then all of her tomorrows were gone. But she lived the last few years the best she could as a Christian mother. Now let's say that like Hezekiah, you've been told, instead of 15, uh, let's just say that you've been told you've got two weeks to live. What are you going to do differently? And when are you going to start? You start today, aren't you? All the things you've been putting off, things that you've come up with excuses for not doing, you take care of start today. Not tomorrow, not Monday. Today. Get out your phone, put a reminder in there, put a piece of paper in your pocket, get out your do something, write down, write it down. I'm going to start this today. I'm going to take care of this today. Find that Bible reading plan. Write the name of the person that you're going to call. Write the name of the person you're going to go see. Because if you say tomorrow, you'll never do it. Tomorrow never do it. Tomorrow will be today. Wake up. Take your life seriously. We always sing the songs of encouragement. We always sing the song about the thing, about the things that we talked about. Think about your life. It's going the way you want it to. Think about the changes you're going to make.